Good afternoon and welcome back to Talking Rugby Week 3, Podcast 3. We've survived another week and this week money talks, new teams and keeping your titles. I'm joined by Matt, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. It's actually been quite a busy week um, in the relative uh, terms of things. So there have been lots of sports news with not uh, direct links to the, the C word, so that's quite good. It's been really good, actually, just getting some more rugby news and people sort of a little bit more optimistic that sport will return at some yeah, point. There's definitely some green shoots starting to come up. There is. And one of those green shoots is Gloucester at the moment. Now, Johan Ackman is rumoured to be leaving uh, the Cherry and Whites. He's had offers, I believe, from Japan. And Gloucester are currently putting a plan in place for if he does get bought out of his contract. Now, that is a developing story. So this week we decided we won't touch upon that too much or at all. And we'll put it in next week's podcast. So if you're a Gloucester fan, make sure you listen to next week as well. <laughs> but this week, Matt, I think I'm just going to let you talk for the next five minutes because Tigers have a new coaching setup. They've had a lot of changes. Um, sort of first off, Simon Cohen's left the club uh, this week after eight years as CEO. He's been at the club 15 years and Andrea Pishan comes in as the first female CEO in Premiership Rugby history. Incredible to start with, that they've got a female presence up at the top. But Matt, what do you make about all the changes that are going on? Let's start with Cohen leaving. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been all change at Welford Road, hasn't it? I think the Simon Cohen one was um a bit of a, a bit of a shock, a bit quite sudden, um, particularly as he was involved in the press releases to the to the announcements, the coaching announcements that we'll get on to later. Um, he was involved in that. His quotes were included in that. And on Twitter, he was saying how how good of a time this is going to be for the club or should I say the, the journey is starting now for the club. And um, over the years, the 15 years and then eight as CEO, as you said, he's faced a lot of criticism, criticism, particularly in the last five years. He took the blame for a lot of things and, some things were his uh, errors, some things weren't. Um, but he was always open and honest to the fans, to the media, when he got a chance to speak uh, in the media. And then, um, yeah, I, it's it's a surprise to see him go at this point. Um, maybe 12 months ago wouldn't have been such a surprise. But uh, now, considering that he's been involved in the rebuilding period, uh, to see him leave now is a bit of a surprise. I think you're right there with that. I don't think many people expect the surprise of him leaving isn't so much. A lot of people sort of expected him to leave at some point with Tigers, just given what's gone on with the club over the past few seasons, that they sort of need a new direction. But I guess you are right in that thought that, you know, we didn't expect it to be now, given the huge plans that they've put in place and they seem to really be driving. And like you say, he was quite a driving force in this. So I think, you know, it's not a surprise that he's leaving, but maybe it's a surprise that he's leaving now. But he is leaving the club, of course he is, and Andrew Pichon takes over in his place. She joined Leicester in 2004, so she knows the club like the back of her hand. Um, does she have similar views to Cohen at all? Yeah, I think uh, she does, which is kind of the, the strange thing about it in that you'd think Leicester would be looking for a new direction when they mm -hmm. take away the CEO. But, um, yeah, I think she's, which I suppose is, in, on the other hand, it's a good thing in that this new, the new plan that they've mapped out, she'd be kind of 
involved in the plan. She she knows the plan, um, whatever that plan is, and uh, she's done really good things for the club as well, which um, I suppose is why she got the job. Yeah, she sorted out that whole caterpillar issue, I remember. She has been in charge of sponsorship and corporate management, so she knows her stuff Oh yeah, with absolutely. Tigers, definitely. Now, <clears throat> heading away from the boardroom and more onto the pitch, Jordan Murphy has now gone to director of rugby, and Steve Borthwick has come in as head coach, their fifth head coach at Tigers in five seasons. Can he stay and make it work? Um, if as long as the the board um, give him give him some time, give him some bit of leeway, I suppose results aren't gonna spin around uh, at the click of a finger. Uh, you'd you'd think anyway, but um, I think he'll do a really good job. I was obviously a proven coach at um, England. He's got got uh, played a key role in getting them to the final, and he's done it all in the Premiership. I remember when. Leicester were looking for a new coach and they signed Matt O'Connor. Uh, one of the key principles or criteria, should I say, one of the key criteria was that he'd the coach would be very experienced in the Premiership. And obviously Steve Borfuck is. He's done everything. He's you know, played 265 appearances, second of all time. And part of that, OK, he's not coached at a consistent level in the Premiership, but being England... Um, being the England coach, you you know, you spend weeks at Leicester, you spend weeks at Saracens looking at the different players, so he knows it inside out. He knows what he's talking about. He's a good pick. And I, I too agree that I think he'll be very good for the club. He'll sort out the problems with the set piece, especially the line-outs, and really sort of give Tigers some discipline and focus where they go forward. Now, he isn't the only new coach. Mike Ford obviously has been with Tigers, but he's now moved to defence coach. And you've got two new coaches as well at Tigers. Alan Waters comes in as head of physical performance and Rob Taylor is the new attacking coach who replaces Mike Ward in his former position. Talk us through the two guys that we don't really know at Tigers, Matt. What are they like? Yeah, so Alan Walters, he's uh, quite a big name in the world of rugby particularly because he was part of the South African World Cup winning squad and um, notably Matt Tamua and a few other players have commented on Twitter and various social media saying what a good signing it is. Um, I think Walters is obviously his job role is a physical head of physical performance and you, you look at Leicester's physicality, I don't know whether he'll have a direct effect on this but they haven't been dominant in collisions in matches sustainable, sustainably. And um, I think he will kind of sort that out. I guess that's the plan anyway. And he's well respected amongst certainly the players uh, within culture clubs. Um, he's been at Munster, he's been at Scarlets. They're all similar sort of philosophy to Leicester. And he's also, you said that, you know, he's coming off of a team that has won the World Cup and Borthwick is coming off a team that came second in the World Cup. That sounds on paper like a story for success. You know, they've got two fantastic coaches who have been at the elite level of rugby in the top of the world this season. It's fantastic for the club. And let's look at Alid Waters. He, sorry, we're speaking about Alid Waters, <laughs> Rob Taylor, pardon, who comes in as attacking coach replacing Mike Ford. What's he going to bring? 
Well, he's also been winning. Um, okay, he's not been winning World Cups. He's not been winning the Premiership year on year. He's not been winning the Champions Cup year on year. But he has won four Premierships in four seasons with Sydney University. And okay, it's not the biggest, but he is winning, and that is a, an important factor that you need to bring into a squad that is losing. Um, if that makes sense, <laughs> I suppose it's fairly obvious at the point, but that is a key ingredient and a an ingredient which you can see throughout. Obviously, as you as you just said, with Alad Walters and Steve Borthwick, they're guys that are winning at the minute, uh, which I think is crucial to lift up confidence. Tigers need to start winning. They they had a good role. You know, they were they were getting somewhere maybe before it all stopped. Surely this has got to help Tigers because can it get much worse? They finished one from relegation last season. Their stats still in 11th this season. Arguably, if Saracens hadn't have gone down, you know, where might Tigers be? So this has got to help the club, surely. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it can't make it worse, as you said. I mean, there's bags of experience coming in and there. those guys are going to fill fill the holes. And uh, there's been a few bigger signings, particularly uh, in the, on the wings. And um, I think there's some more to come in the forwards. And um, obviously having, uh, we touched on uh, Mike Ford a little bit earlier on, but um, he now becomes a defence coach. And with that, you're, you're hiring an internal defence coach. Um, Leicester have had a revolving door of coaches that have <laughs> been uh, either sacked or have walked away themselves. And most of those have been in the Department of Defence. And if you're, you've got a team that's going through different defence systems almost yearly, uh, you, you're not only learning the new one, you're forgetting the old one. And if you've got a coach that knows the old one because they've been a part of the squad, they can perhaps change the defensive system uh, in a way that would benefit the club rather than getting somebody completely new in that doesn't know the old system and is um, trying to hurry on their idea, so to speak. You mentioned revolving door of coaches. I've got a list in front of me that's actually quite staggering. From 2013, let me read you out the list of coaches that have left Tigers. Matt O'Connor, Paul Burke, Phil Blake, Scott Hansen, Richard Cockrell, Aaron Manger, Richard Blaze, Matt O'Connor, Mark Bakewell and Phil Blake. That's a lot. Yeah, it's um, a hire and fire sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. You're in and you're out. Surely Leicester is now crying out for some continuation and some structure within their coaching setup. Yeah, that's of course what you need. I mean, firstly, if you're looking on the outside um, as a, a coach, as a potential candidate, you're going to be looking at that and thinking, wow, I've got to perform really quickly, otherwise I'm out. Mm. And that's not good. Uh, it's not a good image for the club, and um, that's something that they need to put a put the brakes on because otherwise they're going to burn bridges before they've even got the coach in the door. Um, so, but yeah, as I said, continuation is what you need. Continuity, you need the like I said with the defence coach, it's changing systems all the while. You need a system that is in place. The players can trust and they know from the back of their hand. And that maybe hasn't been there recently. 
It maybe hasn't. And hopefully they will all gel together with the new playing squad that they're also putting in place and things will go well at Tigers. Yeah, I mean, because pe- people want Tigers to do well. Even if you don't support them, you want a club to do well. Yeah, I mean, the, the Premiership needs a strong Leicester because they've got the biggest fan base. And if you drop what they average, I think, 19,000 uh, this season, fans, if you take that out of the equation, the average of the whole league drops considerably. They've been mm. the most audience or, you know, the biggest audience on BT Sport. Um, if you take that out of the equation, BT Sport lose a lot of audience. And then, yeah, I think it's a bit of a spiral. But obviously, the league would survive without them. Of course it would. But um, that certainly it, helps if they're yeah, there. They're a massive strength, yeah. They are big. Now, where Tigers have been putting building blocks in place in their coaching setup. Worcester Warriors have absolutely come out with some fantastic signings this week. Matt Kovacic and Joe Bailey. Let's start with Kovacic. Um, England cat. Mm-hmm. A fantastic, fantastic player. One of just four to win 100 plus turnovers since his debut in 2011. He's 28. You know, he's still got a lot of playing time left in him. And he's going back home to Worcester. A fantastic, absolutely fantastic signing, surely. Yeah, I mean, a guy of his standard is only going to help the team. Uh, maybe that even those around him uh, to to improve their own game. I mean, Worcester, I can't tell you whether their breakdown stats are, are high or low, but adding this guy in is going to mean your ball retention is higher, you're turnovers are higher as we've seen with that stat there um, and that can only be a good thing for Worcester they're kind of like waving their hand a little bit saying hello we're, we're coming we're, we're on our way yeah. up no longer will they be playing in the championship that's for sure but also looking at Matt Kovacic he didn't get much game time at Exeter mm-hmm. last season he probably hoped to be getting more if he stayed with them this season but then they've made the signing of Aaron Hinckley from Gloucester an up coming young player who will fight any player down there for their place and maybe you know Matt Kovacic saw it as an opportunity for a club that are up and coming and to help them build as well because he offers not only such fantastic playing ability but experience and that's what Worcester really need. Yeah and it's it's big game experience as well probably the, the hardcore Worcester players um, haven't got that big game experience you you know they haven't been in the big big games towards Europe. They haven't been in the finals, obviously. And they need a player that can can drive that. And I guess Kovacic is that man. Now, Kovacic and uh, Ted Hill, that's going to be that's gonna be fun next season. Oh, yeah. That, that's uh, their line-up weekly, uh, you know, injuries um, permitting. Um, I don't think Kovacic will draw the attention maybe of England so much. Um but yeah, I think that'd be a week on week back row, which is uh, impressive. It's very impressive. And Joe Bately's moved from Bristol over short drive on the motorway over to Worcester, really. But he is a player that brings so much. He plays with passion, power, ball carrying ability is fantastic. He's 23, he is really young, and he can offer and really grow at Worcester. You know, he's learning from players like Kitchener and 
he can just sort of be embedded in a squad that can develop him as a player and really showcase the best of his ability. Yeah, he's been around the block a bit um, in that area of the of England. But um, if he finds a club where he finds a culture that works for him, then he's only going to get better with that. And uh, I watched him at, on a Monday night match, or a, I don't know whether it was actually a Monday night. I call them Monday night matches. It's the Premiership Shield. I saw him in one of those games and he was um, really impressive. The standout uh, performer in that match, certainly my man of the match. And um, I think he's going to go on to achieve big things at Worcester. Could be a regular starter for them as well. And we hear that there is one more signing. We don't know who, but there's someone else probably joining Worcester. Now, they're building a really lovely team. If you look at the quality of players there's a lot of experience and quality in key positions. You've got Duncan Weir at 10, Hugard at 9, Kavesic at 7, Pennell at 15, Waller at prop, Bateley's coming in as well. They've, they're building a really good sign, side and they've had big wins recently when we were playing rugby against Leicester and Bristol. Mm-hmm. So they can only build, they can only get better. Yeah, I presume that that squad is staying together as well, which um, is obviously really good. And um, they've got solid centre partnerships as well. I think Worcester will, their first team squad is, you know, is going to match those that are in in and around fifth, fourth, third, um, if they can, they can keep that together. But they, they had a lot of injuries as well. It sort of overrode this season a little bit. But they did start well. You know, they, they almost beat Exeter at home. They beat Quinns at the Stoop. They beat Sale at home. They haven't won in 2020, though. But a few clubs haven't won in 2020 because <laughs> there wasn't much of 2020 to be played. But, you know, like we say, there's, there's more of a successful Worcester era appearing, isn't that? Yeah, Um this could be their make or break, I suppose. Certainly, they're getting they're moving away from that team that is always finishing eleventh or always in the run for relegation. They're moving away from that for sure. I mean, I don't think they're going to be um, pushing for top four anytime soon because the Premiership. You could have everybody's got the same squad on paper, roughly uh, the mm. first team squad for sure. It's it's how good your depth is. Um, as we saw, once injuries happen, uh, international call-ups, if you've got any, plus uh, suspensions, um, concussion, anything like that, once you're getting into the depth of the squad, that's when that's when you find out how good you are. Because the first team, you, you only get that out on the pitch maybe seven, eight, nine times if you're lucky. Mm. Um, that's very true. Yeah, it's how good your second squad is. You've got to make sure you have depth. Now, depth in squad leads us perfectly onto what happened this morning and the salary cap regulation and processes of Premiership Rugby report by Paul Myers has come out. It's a long read. Mm. I haven't read all of it, but I have got segments of sort of what it says. And I suppose a huge person to praise in all of this salary cap finding is Laura Scott of BBC, formerly Daily Mail. She broke the Saracen story around in the salary cap. She got this, you know, she really pushed the salary cap to be looked at 
And it's a fantastic example of journalism, what she's done to get, you know, Premiership Rugby to sit up and listen to this and, you know, independent panels to come in and talk about the salary cap. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, she's probably one of those people that nobody had heard of or not many people had heard of, but now they can associate her with something something great that's done something really good for the team, for the game, although um, it probably damaged it a little bit. But in the long run, I think it's going to be really positive. And looking at that review, um, without sounding like a, like a um, I don't know, hardcore rugby reader of reports like that, um, I actually quite enjoyed reading that report and um, certainly the first half of it where it was talking about how the ethos of the game um should be respected a little bit more and how this has damaged the game off I found some quite interesting stuff in there. It is it is very interesting and it sort of brings this greater accountability for the board and executives of Premiership Rugby. Uh, you know, greater accountability for players and their agents. There's an increased reporting obligation on clubs stronger investigating powers vested into the salary caps and making regulations easier for clubs to to understand, which I think is a huge thing because that final point, because a lot of clubs maybe are a little bit sceptical on on what the salary cap is and how it sort of should be adopted. But the key points really, player declaration, reporting arrangements for players, the onus is on players to clarify the arrangements and cooperation. And that's all something that's really needed. And sort of maybe it's made the rugby world sit up and think the players need to have a lot more responsibility for the contracts that they are on. Yeah, I, I think the, the main point is that they're trying to make it transparent so that everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's in the loop. And um, there's in that report, the 2015 um I suppose you could call it a scandal. The 2015 salary cap breach or alleged breach was brought up a lot and and how that was brushed under the carpet. So I think mm. with those changes um, in in place, you won't be able to brush anything under the carpet. Everything's in the in everybody's faces, and there'll be no hidden trickery going on like like we've seen. And it's it's a good it's a good move, you know. Everyone's open books, the clubs can see who's spending what and whatever. But the salary cap itself, there are still problems with it because, you know, the game is increasing, money's increasing, players want more. Arguably, they have the right to more because the game is getting a lot more physical than it ever was. You know, there's more advertising, there's everything in rugby. And does the salary cap need to be? increased because it you know you look at saracens and okay they did awful awful things with breaking the salary cap but the reason they won those titles was because of the players they had and unless you are prepared to grow you know academy players into players like saracens have which is doable and it should be very much encouraged to grow and nurture academy players into world elite class players but money does talk and, you know, you can't get these big World Cup players unless you've got some money. So surely something in this salary cap needs to give in terms of where you can say stop spending money. Yeah, something's got to give. Um, 
with with Saracens, their problem was that they had the likes of Vitoji, the Vunny Polars, um, Barrett, Farrell, Daly. They had them all, and then you get the, to the end of the contract cycle, and then all of a sudden they all want a pay rise. They all want an extra ten k. They all want an extra twenty k. Whatever the whatever the number is, and if you add that up between all the ten players in the squad, then you without a salary cap increase, you're going to you you're going to have to cheat the salary cap to get around it. Um, but surely we have to increase the salary cap, otherwise it's a fear that all the players will go to France. Yeah, I mean that's that's the attractive option, isn't it, for the players? Um, I mean, take me on a plane to France now, sunny South <laughs> France in yeah, the sun. Please. Absolutely brilliant. Long. On you know, on money that the Premiership can't offer, you can see why people are going to take yeah, it. Yeah, it's. I guess it's the draw of playing in the French league as well. With the you, you back in five years ago, you used to have a few more big names in there, but um, I think I don't know. I've, you say you want to increase it, but I think they could. Certainly, should certainly say the same. Um, maybe even decrease it because if you add any more payments to the players' bill, uh, to the t- club's bill, then they're already losing millions and millions of pounds. Um, any more than that, and it's going to be detrimental because the clubs they're, they're relying on their owners at the minute. They're relying on. CVC money, as we saw, even more so now with the coronavirus. I think if you increase it any more, you're going to struggle to to have a premiership with 12, 13 clubs. Simple facts that matter. Somebody come and invest a lot of money into <laughs> rugby so we can keep these players and enjoy the Somebody game win the rainy, Euro in rainy England. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've rambled on for nearly half an hour and it's been great. You know, we've, we've discussed the key points to this week and next week we will gain we will pick out some other key points that have uh, have grown over this week we mentioned earlier Gloucester and we'll look at player contracts and the 1st of July so we'll see you next week <laughs>